0: just say, Holy Spirit, what are you trying to say to me through this message? Because Jesus gave gifts when he ascended, and one of the gifts he gave us are teachers. Finishing our five week series on the gifts of Jesus, and these are in Ephesians 4:11 he himself've we've had done this scripture every week. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers all right so we've done apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and this week we're going to talk about teachers. I, I do want to say that sometimes teachers can be misunderstood. And so I'm going to explain it to you about how teachers function and how God wired teachers, but I'm going to use as my example the greatest teacher who ever lived, and that was obviously Jesus. I don't know if you thought about this, but crowds, m- m- huge crowds, especially for that time, there these huge crowds would follow him and, and, and even that, that specific story explains this to us. They would follow him into deserted places where there was no food to hear him teach. That's what a good teacher he was. Let me show you a couple of scriptures. Matthew 13, 54, when he had come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished, amazed, and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Matthew twenty-two thirty-three. and when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. No one had ever spoken like Jesus because he's a great teacher. So let me tell you three things about teachers, all right? Number one, teachers love students. They love students. Now, I wanna, I wanna do something Um, if you're a teacher here, public school, private school um, uh, or home school, if you're a teacher, please don't be embarrassed but every campus, would you just stand up so we could just see you if you're a teacher. Go ahead, stand up. Look at these wonderful, wonderful people. You can be seated. We love you, most of you. All right, so let's, um, <laughs> don't just say, it. 99.9, but everyone, you, do you remember the one you didn't love? Okay, all right. It's probably the one you learned the most from, but all right. So I read this scripture last week, but I want to show it to you again in the area of teaching. Mark 6, 34, and Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them. In other words, he loved them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd, so he began to teach them. Teachers love students. He was moved with compassion, so he taught them. And then when the rich young ruler ran up to Jesus, and we know what Jesus told him, but it says this, we we overlook these two words, Mark 10, 21, then Jesus looking at him, loved him and said, one thing you lack. The reason he wanted to teach him what was standing between him and God was because he loved him. So you you need to understand people that are gifted by God, they love to teach, but they don't love to teach to hear their voices. They love to teach to help people. And it's all through Scripture. Jesus was full of grace and truth, not just truth, but grace. And they had never heard grace and truth. The Pharisees were focused on rules and regulations, and Jesus was focused on relationship. The sinners loved Jesus. And you've probably heard this old saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's what happened with Jesus. All of a sudden, they knew that he loved them, so they wanted to hear him teach. Jesus never taught religious nonsense, which is what the Pharisees taught. He taught practical truth. He taught things like, uh, if you're mad at someone, don't come to church and play a religious game. Go get right with that person and then come to church. It's it's, it's just a a practical truth. Uh, He taught, don't worry about tomorrow. If God cares enough to feed the birds and clothe the flowers, He'll feed and clothe you. It's practical. He, He taught, you can't serve God and money. In other words, what he was saying is, you'll be happy if you're not greedy because my father wired you to be generous. And then, of course, he came straight out and said, do you want to know how to go to heaven? You want to know the works of God that you may do them? Believe in the one whom he sent. He just, he just came straight out and told them that. You know, we we remember certain teachers, and we remember them because of the love and the compassion they showed. Debbie and I met in the sixth grade. We were in the same sixth grade class. Now, we didn't really know each other or hang around each other. I've told you before, because she was a goody-goody, and I was a baddie-baddie. And, uh, but we had the same sixth grade teacher, Mr. Bradley. And uh, we've taught, we have this high school group of friends that we get together with normally once a year, and, and we've talked, and they were all in, me, most of them were in this sixth grade class, Mr. Bradley's, and we, we've talked about he was our favorite teacher, but I can't remember one thing he taught. <laughs> now, you say, yeah, but you were baddie batty, batty okay, but let's go us go beside. It. But I remember I loved his class. Do you know why I loved his class? Because I knew he loved us because he cared for us. He he just made class interesting, because he loves students. Teachers love students. Here's number two. Teachers challenge students. Now, you need to know they challenge us. And the reason they challenge us is because that's the way we learn. And Jesus did this, and if you heard someone do this today, it would probably bother you. For instance, Jesus said, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, you have heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say to you, okay, where had they heard it said, you shall not commit adultery and you, ha- you shall not murder? Where there, that's it. The Ten Commandments, but, but let me go a little farther. Others say the law, the Pentateuch. Let me go a little farther. The Word of God. The Scriptures. The Holy Scriptures. So think about if someone said today from this pulpit or someone said from on television somewhere, the Bible says, but I say. That's what he did. Okay, he wasn't contradicting the Bible. He was actually explaining the Bible to them. Uh, he was, um, th- this even the word but in the Greek uh, is translated about 40% of the time, and. In other words, you have heard it said, you shall not murder, and I say to you, if you hate your brother, then you've murdered him. He's, he's, com- he's, he's, he's explaining the Bible to us when he does that. He's clarifying the Bible. So you need to know that. So, Teachers will many times say, look at this verse. Now look at this verse. And we think, hmm, what's he doing? Because I don't, I don't see how those two go together. And they challenge us. So let me tell you a little something else that Jesus did. Jesus taught, uh, which you may have never, ever thought of that, uh, this, what I'm about to say. He used deductive reasoning and inductive reasoning. All right, so um, deductive reasoning comes from the word deduce. When you look at the dictionary, you'll hear top-down and bottom-up. That's kind of the way they explain it, top-down reasoning and bottom-up. But that doesn't help you either. Okay, so deduce means that I share some, some facts with you so that I can get you to deduce the conclusion. That's deductive reasoning. Inductive reasoning, the word inductive comes from the word induce. I'm gonna give you a similar word that is not a synonym. It's not the same, but it's similar, um, insight. In other words, I am trying to induce you. Uh, Let me say another word. I'm trying to tear down your arguments so that you come to the right conclusion. I realize that you are so... Um, ingrained in your beliefs that if I don't show you how illogical your arguments are, that you'll never come to the right conclusion. I can't use deductive reasoning in some areas. I have to use inductive. Did everyone get that, or did I go? Okay, some of you are like, yeah, or why don't you just tell me where Nordstrom's is in the mall. Okay, (laughs) Jesus did this. So I was actually reading a few weeks ago just reading of Matthew 22, and, and I thought this would be great when we come to, to teach her. All right? So I just want to show you uh, how he uses inductive reasoning with the Pharisees. All right? And it's a long passage, but I really think you'll like it. Matthew 22, verse 15. Then the Pharisees, I just want you to notice that this was the Pharisees because there's about three groups that come after him in, in this, went and plotted, plotted, how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians. Now, I just want to let you give you a little history. The Pharisees were the uh, religious intellectuals of the day, the Herodians were the political intellectuals of the day. And they never, they were enemies. And they never, this is according to history, they never worked together except when they came together against Jesus. It's the only time in history we ever have them working together. So the Pharisees and the Rhodians came to him saying, now watch what they do. Teacher, they recognize he's as a teacher. Watch this. We know that you are true. Oh, yeah, they didn't believe that. And teach the way of God in truth. They're just trying to manipulate him. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the the person of men. In other words, you just teach truth no matter who it hurts. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Y'all remember this story? Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, why do you test me, you hypocrites? He was always trying to win friends and influence people. Show me the tax. he's using inductive reasoning with them. Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius, and he said to them, whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And he said, render therefore to Caesar, this is famous now, the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. The same day... The Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, you know what that means? They didn't believe in life after death. In other words, they believed that we're simply metaphysical beings uh, and that when we die, that's it, it's over, like a plant or a tree dying, there's nothing that lives on. Uh, And by the way, remember, these are called the Sadducees because they didn't believe in life, life after death. That's why they were sad, you see. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry. I know it was corny, but Sadducees, you. Okay, it's still corny the second time, isn't it? All right, all right, here we go. Who say there's no resurrection came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were with us. They're telling this like it's a true story, but I don't, I don't think it was true, actually. Seven brothers. The first died after he had married and having no offspring left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also and the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. Oh, come on, really? Eight people died that quickly, you know? Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? They're trying to prove there's no life after death. Whose wife will he be for they all had her? Verse 29, Jesus answered them and said, you are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels of God in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, since you brought it up, Have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. In other words, they couldn't answer him. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and then one of them, a lawyer. Now they're going to bring in a lawyer. <laughs> and we know lawyers know how to argue. Sorry if you're one, but it's, it's, they do. And he asked him a question, testing him, saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. That's the, that's the scripture. First five books, the law, and the rest being the prophets. And some divide the prophets then, but I don't need to go into all that. Okay, but while the Pharisees were gathered together, while they're gathered together, though, Jesus asked them, the inductive reasoning. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, Well, how then does David, in the spirit—that means under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit—because it's in the Scripture, it's Psalm one ten, by the way—in the spirit called him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord. Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone dare question him anymore. I love that. What I'm saying is that teachers love us, but they challenge us. And so I'd like to teach us as a congregation that there will be people who stand in this pulpit that I know and I know their character and they don't have my methods, they don't have my style and they might even be challenging to you, but don't resist, just say, Holy Spirit, what are you trying to say to me through this message? Because Jesus gave gifts when he ascended and one of the gifts he gave us our teachers. You got y'all, you with me? So, teachers love us, they challenge us. Here's number three teachers inspire students, they inspire students. Um, teachers feed us nourishing meals, like a restaurant. Um, that one, there's young pastor asked me a while back, How much time do you spend, Pastor Robert? on preparing, uh, oh, let me me clarify something. Um, Pre-teaching and preaching is about content and delivery. Content and delivery. And so he said, how much time do you spend preparing your content, and how much time do you spend preparing your delivery? And I said, it's actually 50-50. And I said, here's why. Because if you have good content, but you don't have good delivery, the people don't get the message. And let me just explain delivery to you. Delivery is mainly two things, humor and illustrations. So I spend a lot of time working on humor and illustrations. Okay, let me go back to a nourishing meal. If there's a restaurant that has good, nourishing, nutritious food, but it doesn't taste good, you're probably not going to go back. What you're looking for, even in a church, is nourishing food that tastes good. Are y'all following me? Um, uh, there. By the way, there are preachers who spend more too much time on delivery and not enough time on content, <laughs> and they're really funny, but you walk away not being fed. And after a few weeks or months or years, you'll realize I'm not being fed here, but the guy sure is funny. That's like fast food. It tastes good, but it doesn't nourish you. It's not good for you. Then there are teachers that spend way too much time on content, not on delivery, and you fall asleep, you know. So so this is something I want you to understand. Teachers inspire us. They spend time learning. So, Jesus, again, was the best one. He was great at illustrations. Um, he used humor. Uh, a lot of times we don't recognize it because we just don't because we don't know the culture. Uh, but let me, I'll give you just a, a couple of instances. Uh, they said to him one time, You cast out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. And this is what he said He said, well, how do you get them out? Now, the reason that was funny is because they didn't get them out. (laughs) They didn't have the power to cast out demons. I think the people were rolling around on the ground holding their sides when he said that. You cast out demons by the prince of the demons, huh? How do y'all get them out? Here's another time I think was funny. They said, who gave you this authority to teach? He said, I'll ask you a question. If you can answer my question, I'll answer yours. Was the baptism of John from God or from men? And it said they got together and they said, if we say from God, he'll say, well, why didn't you receive him then? And if we say from men, then the crowd will turn on us because they love John. So they came back and said, we don't know. He said, I'm not going to answer your question either then. (laughs) And he used illustrations. He painted pictures. He told stories. Let me give you just a couple of illustrations and then one story, and then we're done. Um, I'm going to paraphrase this, okay? Jesus said this one time. This is an illustration. He said, Think about a camel. Think about a camel. Can you see a camel in your mind? Then he said, Now think about a needle. A needle. Now think about the eye of the needle. Now shove that camel through the eye of that needle. And they said, well, that's impossible. He said, "Uh uh-huh. Basically is what he said. It's impossible for you to get to heaven without God. But God made a way to make it possible. He, He was just, he was brilliant at this. Here's another thing he said one time. He said, there was this father that had two sons. One of the sons asked for his inheritance. So the father actually gave both sons their inheritance. The one that asked for his inheritance flew to Vegas. I'm just modernizing it. And he spent everything he had, all his inheritance on hookers and gambling and drinking and drugs. And then he started getting food out of the dumpsters behind the casinos. And he thought, you know, my dad, back in Frisco, or Dallas, or South Lake, he has employees that are eating better than I'm eating right now. So I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna tell him, I'm not even worthy to be your son. Just let me work in the mailroom for you. And before he could finish his speech, the father stopped him and threw a party for him and gave him a new car. But the brother that stayed at home wouldn't come into the party. And this is what he was saying. See those Pharisees over there? They can't even rejoice when one sinner repents. But you sinners need to know that the Father has been practicing his welcome home speech longer than you've been practicing your I'm sorry speech. (laughs) Teachers are gifts from Jesus. They love us, they challenge us, and they inspire us. I am so grateful for teachers. I'm so grateful for the teachers I had in school that I didn't even like then. But now that I go back, and I see that those teachers love me, and those teachers spent their lives helping students, I'm so grateful. And maybe you know a teacher, Sunday school teacher, or a school teacher, a college teacher, but someone you could say thank you for teaching me, but also those teachers who teach us the Bible. Think about how God has gifted men and women to teach us the scriptures. And the reason is so that we not only hear the word, but that we do the word. And I love you. I I am so proud of you because I know you have a hunger to hear God's word and to learn God's word. So allow the Holy Spirit to teach you his word, but then pass along what you've learned to someone else. It's helped you, it'll help them. I absolutely have loved this series, The Gifts of Jesus. We've talked about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and this week, teachers. Thanks so much for joining us and join us again next time
1: jesus has given each of his gifts we can use to impact the world around us and to help build his church the body of christ in pastor roberts enlightening series the gifts of jesus you'll learn about these five ministry gifts why the church needs each of our unique gifts to thrive and how our gifts fit perfectly together to achieve the awesome purpose jesus has for us For your gift of any amount today, you'll receive this entire series on CD or as an audio digital download, along with a Palm Sunday to Easter reference guide. This beautiful fold-out guide is filled with charts, diagrams, and simple summaries about the events of Jesus' life throughout Passion Week. And for your gift of $80 or more, you can also request our brand new Passion Week devotional. In it, you'll discover more amazing truths about Passion Week that will give you great insight into the week leading up to Jesus' death on the cross and reveal how every day was marked by His passion to rescue us. Also, for your gift of $140 or more, you'll receive the Holy Land Devotional Journal, featuring pictures and scriptural reflections from key historical sites in Israel. We'll also send the Holy Land Illustrated Bible, filled with over 1,100 images, maps, and illustrations for a visual journey through God's Word. Visit us at PastorRobert.com to get these special resources today. As always, thank you for your continuous prayers and generous financial support of Pastor Robert Morris Ministries. Living your best life isn't about having a dream home, wonderful kids, or the ideal job. It's about changes in your family, health, and relationships. When God changes your heart, you'll discover that there is so much more to life. With humor, passion, and clarity, Pastor Robert presents the secrets of living your best life.